Would you open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2? We're going to look at two verses, 8 and 9. I'll read 8, you read 9. This will be a very short reading. It says in verse 8, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Oh, I read right through it, didn't I? (laughs) That is a small nine. (laughs) You may be seated. (laughs) You know, I tried my best on Wednesday night to to have you guys read along with me, and I blew that too, but... So today we're looking at a message entitled, You Either Have It or You Don't. And of course, we're talking about salvation, specifically because there is much confusion about the relationship between faith and works. We will examine how a person is saved and if there is anything necessary to keep it. On the top of of salvation, I would like to put forth, you either have it or you don't. Salvation isn't bought, earned, or kept. Works don't earn or keep salvation. Works are the response to being saved. Martin Luther said, God our Father has made all things depend on faith so that whoever has faith will have everything and whoever does not have faith will have nothing. I've heard much confusion from people who think once they're born again, somehow their good works keep them saved. And I want to dispel that idea. If you cannot earn salvation, what would make us think that we could keep it? I want you to understand before we dive into this that your and my works don't have anything to do with getting saved or staying saved. Works are simply the response to us being saved. And there is a healthy balance that we're going to be looking at. First, turn to John chapter 3, verse 16, and we'll see in our intro that it begins with an offer. For God so loved the world, it says in verse 16, that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him would be saved. So where did the idea of salvation begin? It began in the heart of God. This is mind-blowing to me. That the Bible says in Romans 5, 8, that God demonstrated his love toward us. How did he demonstrate that love? The Bible declares at the cross, when Jesus died upon the cross, God, through that act, demonstrated his love towards us. We understand this because we say things like, I love you so much, I would die for you. When you really love someone, maybe there's a young man courting a young woman, or maybe a a man that's been married for 30 years would say to his wife, I love you so much, I would lay down my life for you. Jesus said that this is the greatest way to show that you love someone by laying down your life for them. Not letting them drive your car. Not letting them share your food. Not letting them share your home. Not any of those things, but by the laying down of a life. Now, by default, we're all born sinners. And I know a lot of people have a hard time with the idea of them being a sinner, but the Bible declares that we are all born sinners. And in order to enter the kingdom of God, the Bible says we must be born again. Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified, that means declared not guilty, freely by his grace, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as propitiation, that means the sacrifice that satisfies by his blood through faith 
to demonstrate his righteousness. Romans 5.12 says, just as through one man's sin entered the world and death through sin, thus death spread to all men. Why? Because all sinned. You see, you're born in sin, but that's because by nature, we are sinners. You say, well, but when I was a little baby, I didn't do anything to sin yet. No, but you very quickly did. You were two, you were one, you were three. When you started the my game and the me, you, one thing you don't have to teach kids is how to be selfish, do you? You actually have to spend an entire life teaching a child how to put others first. Look, there are some adults still trying to figure this out. They spent their entire life focused on themselves. So we learn here that all are born in sin and all sin. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 21 says, Since by man came death, by man also came resurrection from the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. So what is the main thing that sin does? The Bible teaches us in Isaiah 59 that our sins separate us from God. Isaiah 59 verse 2 says, your iniquities have separated you from your God. It's very simple. It's very basic. So therefore, God did for us what we were unable to do for ourselves, and that is found in Romans 8 verse 3, what the law could not do in that it was weak, God did by sending his own son. The law is incapable of making us right before God. But listen, if you go and study all the religions of the world, you'll find that they all have something in common except for biblical Christianity. And that is that they all believe in some way, shape, or form, they can earn their way to a heaven or a nirvana or whatever they describe their afterlife like. I mean, how... How much of an of a incentive would it be to just, after you've lived this life of trying to perfect yourself, then you find yourself as just some energy, you're absorbed into energy. I mean, does that sound like something that you would want to live for? Yet people do. There are so many false realities that Satan has created known as religions, and some Wonder, what are the differences between all of them? Well, between all the major religions of the world, there are various differences, but I will tell you that they all have one thing in common, and that's that they're all works-based, and the Bible teaches us that we can't do it. They all say man can reach up to God, or man can become God, but the Bible teaches that none of those things are so, but God reached down to us. And this is why it's mind-boggling to hear people make accusations against God like he is unjust when the Bible says that's impossible, that he has somehow caused us to sin, which is also impossible because the Bible says that God does not tempt, nor is he tempted. The Bible says God is love. So it's bizarre that people find themselves in these places, and we know, of course, that comes through deception. Acts chapter 13 Verse 38 says, let it be known to you, brethren, that through this man is preached to you the forgiveness of sins. And by him, everyone who believes is justified from all things, listen, which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. So I want you to take a big, deep breath right now. Just with me, right? Ready? One, two, three. Big. Hold it and let it go. 
If you're trying to live a life by works, stop it. Just stop it. I want you to understand that you're not going to be closer to God because you did something that made you bleed. God bled for you. He did the bleeding so you and I didn't have to. And if you don't like that, it sounds too simplistic, take it up with him. He's the one that designed it. I didn't. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. He's the one that said, you cannot be justified by the law of Moses. Now listen, we all understand, and many people understand that before salvation, but for some reason, people attach it after. I'm born again, now I've got to attach the law of Moses so I can stay saved. We'll look at that in just a moment. Remember, we're still in the intro. Let's look at the next intro point. I don't count, these are not points yet. These are just building up to our three points. We're laying a foundation first. Now, that offer needs to be received. That's where we read Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. I mean, I really struggle. What should be the theme verse? But I felt that Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 really captures exactly what we're trying to convey in this message. We're saved by grace through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. You understand? And what do you do with gifts? Do you earn gifts? No, you receive them, right? How many of you have kids? Did you ever, right at Christmas time, say, wow, guys, look at all those gifts under the tree. Let's see if you've earned them this year. (laughs) You should try this with your kids once. I think you should. I think you should for fun. Video it and send it to me. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to say, listen, you guys, uh, you see all those gifts under the tree. They're all numbered, and I have a number of things on here that you did not do this year. And so there's a number that correlates with a present. And uh, as I read down the list, I'm going to go remove the present from under the tree, and then I'm going to burn it. (laughs) Just just put an empty box. They're not going to know. So then you say the first thing, oh, you didn't take out the trash this week. Number one, let's go, go under the tree and find box number one for me. Your kids will absolutely riot on Christmas Day. Because they understand gifts under the tree are not about truly, right, how good I was this year. Even though we attach that, you know, you'll get a lump of coal in your stocking if you weren't good. Same, same is true with the birthday. You don't on your birthday say, wow, I really earned my birthday presents this year. But if you worked a job you expect to be paid for, that's different. And that's exactly what the Bible's talking about. So the offer of grace or unmerited favor, Ephesians 2.7 says that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Do you know what that means? That means for all of eternity, you and I are gonna sit back and be blown away at God's grace and his mercy for eternity. We're gonna sit there and go, I don't know how I'm here. This is amazing. I didn't deserve this. I was going my own way. I was doing my own thing. There's like lots of songs written about this sort of stuff. Living your own way. That's the world's way. But it's not God's way. And then we have to receive it by faith. Now, the expositor's commentary says, faith, however, is not a quality, a virtue, Or a faculty, it is not something man can produce. It is simply a trustful response 
that is itself evoked by the Holy Spirit. Less faith should be in any way misinterpreted as man's contribution to his own salvation. Paul immediately adds a writer to explain that nothing is of our own doing, but everything is the gift of God. Does and this connect with faith, with saved, or with the entire clause? Probably the latter interpretation is preferable. What he's trying to say is that this isn't some, exercising faith isn't doing something. It's not a work. Some say that exercising faith is a work, and you can't do it. If you do it, it's a work. But I'm just simply believing what God said to be true. It's not actually a work. It's not listed as a work. Do you understand? It's a gift of God that is to be received by faith. And it says in Romans 4, verse 16, therefore, it is of faith that it might be according to grace. You see, it's God's grace. He's giving us something that we don't deserve, and that must be received by faith. Imagine your faith is like hands receiving the gift. That's all you're doing. God did what was necessary to give me that gift. All I'm doing is simply receiving the gift. Now, I know some of you might be thinking, but Shadrach, this is so simplistic. I'm so beyond this. And I would just ask that you bear with me in a little folly as we just lay out this basic foundation because unfortunately, there are many people today that don't understand the basics of salvation. When Paul wrote to the church or to the Hebrews, he said, I wished I could give you meat. I'm not saying that of you guys. Paul said that of the Hebrews. He said, I wish I could give you meat, but you still need milk. He said, we'll go on to the greater doctrines, but first he had to lay the basic doctrine, and so he did. I'm not saying you guys are them. I'm saying there are people in here, and there are people watching who are really sweating over whether they're they're going to go to heaven because they've been mistaught. And they believe keeping their salvation is something that they have to work for, and they live in such a state of guilt, and the enemy is just pounding them like God's this big, angry God in the skies, big, angry father that somehow, like their earthly father, waiting to punish them the moment they mess up. And they need to be set free from this way of thinking. Maybe you're already free, praise the Lord. Then this will help you understand this doctrine a little bit better. Acts chapter 16, verse 30 says, what must I do to be saved? And they said, listen, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Isn't that wild? Remember the thief on the cross? Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. What did Jesus say? What did he say? Today you'll be with me in paradise. He didn't say, wait, get down off the cross, get baptized. Wait, go keep the Ten Commandments. You, oh, you're a thief on the cross. Go make restitution. He said to him, today you'll be with me in paradise. Think of how simplistic that is. Sometimes we overcomplicate it. Acts chapter 17, verse 30 says, truly these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. That's the assurance that we have that what the Bible says is true, that Jesus was raised from the dead. 
Listen, with all that's going on in the world today, that judgment is much closer now than it ever has been. I mean, when you look at the world around you, is there, do you have a desire to own luxurious things right now? Because I look around the world and I, it does not, it's funny how the things that used to be a real big temptation in my life, and I don't mean a sinful temptation, but, you know, just, oh, wow, I wish I could, you know, have a bigger house or I wish I could have a nicer car or something like that. Right now, none of that seems important. None of it seems important. When you look at what's happening in our own country other countries, now what's happening in Israel, there's just this thought that like nothing really matters. And you know what? The, the thought that's just running through my mind is, Lord, I need to be as close to you as possible. You know, like a little kid near their parent. One time when my mom and dad took me to the Orange County swap meet, I was just a little guy. I think I was probably four. Uh, we were walking down one of the aisles and I was all caught up in whatever was being sold, and I started looking, my mom and dad noticed, so they wondered when I would pay attention to where they were, and so they taught me a lesson. They actually walked over away from me with a bunch of people going in between us, and I was there looking, oh, and then I looked up, and I started looking for my mom and dad, and you know, when you're little, and you look up, and everybody's a giant, and I, in a panic, started screaming mom and dad, and ran down the aisle right past them. And they stood there, and they waited for me to run by, and then they started yelling, Shad, Shad, Shad. And I, I stopped, and man, when I saw them, I got near them, and the Lord reminded me of that when I came to him. Anytime that I'm tempted to, you know, when you kind of wander off, and you're like, you yeah, know, Lord, I see you there, and I'm just going <laughs> to, you know, whatever it is that you're doing, not paying attention, and then the Lord says, mm. he, he lets you get over a little bit, doesn't he? He doesn't go, what are you doing? He lets you get over a little bit. And then you, you know what happens? You find yourself in a little panic because you got yourself into something that you shouldn't have been in in the first place. And now all of a sudden it's like, oh, Lord. And he's like, I'm right here. Come on home. So he has given us full assurance. Romans 6.23 says that the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. Now, why did he offer this gift? Because the Bible says in 1 John 4, 8, or John 4, 8, is this 1 John 4, 8 or 4, 8? Uh, God is love. God is love. I think it's 1 John 4, 8, and I put John 4, 8. Back to John three seventeen. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. A lot of people think that God's here to just condemn them. That's not why he sent his son. He sent his son into the world. You've got to read verse 18. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already. Why? Because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten son of God. So your condemnation is based on whether or not you believe Jesus Christ is God. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is God? Do you believe that he died on the cross? Do you believe that he rose from the dead? Those are the things necessary in order to be saved, you cannot add anything to that. And the very first part before all that would be repent. That's to turn from your sin. That thing that you've been living for that separated you from God, God would say, turn from it and draw near to me and I will save you. But you've got to go through those steps. John 5, 24 says, most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life. And shall not come into judgment, and he has passed from death. 
to life. Isn't that amazing? In an instant. Isn't that wild? From death to life. In as fast as you can believe Jesus Christ is God, died on the cross and rose from the dead, as fast as you can believe that and then confess it with your mouth, you transfer from death to life. Hallelujah. Man, I was so afraid of death at one time in my life. I used to pray every night, and I will not lie, as a 18 and 19-year-old. I would pray before I go to bed. No joke. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. And I meant it, kind of. (laughs) The fear that I had at night before I would go to bed, and I always came to that realization, and I knew I am not living for Jesus. I am not his. I knew it. But I didn't want to do anything about it because I liked at that time living in my sin. And when that changed, let me tell you, the fear of death was gone. I don't have the fear of death now. Now, don't think I'm some kind of weirdo looking forward to dying because I don't know how it's going to be. Right? We all just, can I die in my sleep? I just go to bed and I wake up in heaven. Or I go to sleep and the rapture happens, you know? Or I'm having a great day with my family and the rapture happens. You know, something like that. Not like a horrible car accident, you know, or something like that. Now, we're on to our first point. And that wraps up the service. Okay, have a good <laughs> See you later. Have a nice day. Point number one, you you either have it or you don't, so what are you trying to do? Turn to Galatians chapter 3, verse 1. It says, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth, before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified? This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Listen to Paul. Isn't he being sarcastic? Come on. Those of you that say, I don't like sarcasm. Look at what he's saying. This I want to learn. Did you receive it by the works of the law, by the hearing of faith? He's being sarcastic. Verse 3. Are you so foolish, having begun in the spirit, that you're now being made perfect in the flesh? Man, I'll tell you what. If you think that you're perfecting yourself in your flesh, you are dead wrong. You cannot earn salvation So why would you try to keep it? That's not something that you and I can do. Once you have it, we'll look at this. Once you have it, you have it. Either you have it or you don't. You don't have it, not have it, have it, not have it, have it, not have it. We'll look at this, and I'll be real ornery in a moment, okay? If you could lose it by sinning, it would mean that you keep it by your works. Remember Ephesians 2, 8, 9, it is a gift of God, not of works. Titus 3, verse 4, when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. For me to say that I'm keeping my salvation would be the equivalent of a child saying I'm keeping my birthday gift by being good. Now, I know that's probably a really bad analogy because some of you may take away your kid's birthday gift if they're bad. Shame on you. (laughs) Take something else away. (laughs) But it was the Xbox. You shouldn't have bought it in the first place. (laughs) 
1 Peter 1.3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, according to his abundant mercy, has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith. What are we kept by? The power of God through faith. You and I, right now, are literally kept by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. God's going to bring you all the way through. You might be a little banged up when you get there. You might be a little dinged up, but you're going to get there, right? You're going to get there. You cannot lose your salvation because you either have it or you don't. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. Let's look at this. How can we be so confident in this? Verse 13 of Ephesians 1 says, In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, then what was the next thing that happened? You were sealed with the Holy Spirit until when? Till when? The day of redemption. How many of you, I, I can remember the first time I ordered a package on Amazon. I'm not promoting Amazon, so don't beat me up on your way out of the church today, okay? But I remember the first time that I ordered a package and I thought, I must be nuts. I'm going online and I'm buying something that's going to hopefully get shipped to my house. And it came to my house. I remember the doorbell, ding dong, and I was like, what? And I ran out and there was a package. And I was like, wow, convenient. And they started putting this little blue tape on there. You know what I'm talking about? That little blue Amazon tape that they put over the box? So when they take that box at their warehouse and they put your item in it, they take and they put that little blue Amazon tape over the top of the box. When it shows up at your door, you know it was sealed at Amazon warehouse by whoever fulfilled the order. It was sealed until the day of redemption, which is when it showed up in my possession and I opened it. How many of you men order stuff and then your wife opens it before you get home? <laughs> Let's have a moment to talk to our wives about opening our Amazon boxes or our children. They know they didn't order it. They're like, what is this? What if it was your Christmas present? What if it was your, I mean, it's not, but what if it was? You open it and then you see it. I want the joy of opening that stupid box for the first time myself, right? If the box showed up at your house and you noticed a clear cut down that blue tape and a piece of clear tape over the top, you would know somebody was messing with my Amazon package and it was not sealed until the day of redemption. Now, I know I used a really silly analogy, but that's exactly what they're talking about because that's exactly what took place in Paul's day. When you bought a package that would be shipped to your house, and it don't think like today because it was very different, uh, they had a signet ring, and in the signet ring had a, uh, a, I don't know, a logo or their crest or whatever. And so when they ordered a package, when they sealed it up with the rope in front of the buyer, they would melt hot wax over where it was tied. That buyer would take their ring and they would stamp it in the wax. And as that wax hardened over that rope, they called it the sanctification process. 
And that package was then shipped to your home. And so when it got there, you knew, okay, this is my package. It's untampered. That signet mark that I placed on it is there, and you knew that the contents had arrived at your house safe and sound. That's exactly what this is describing. Now, could Hebrews 6 be talking about losing your salvation? Turn to Hebrews 6, and let's just look at it for a moment. We're not gonna, we don't have time to do an exhaustive study about this. So we're going to look at it like the 40,000-foot flyover. There are some who teach that's, that Hebrews 6 is talking about losing your salvation. Let's see if we can discover just in a few verses if, in fact, this is what it's talking about. Verse 4, it is impossible. You better circle that word impossible because whatever it's describing is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit, have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come if they fall away. Remember, it's impossible if they fall away to renew them again to repentance since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put him to open shame. This is talking about losing your salvation. Once you lose it, that's it. You can never get it back. That would mean none of us could be saved. Exactly, right? Because turn over to 1 John 1, 8. John says in verse 8 of 1 John, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So for someone to teach you can lose your salvation is using this verse to teach that. This verse is saying it's impossible to renew that person again to salvation. So if you believe that you can lose your salvation and that's your verse that you're using, just know you could never get it back based on that verse. If you could lose it, you could never get it back. Isn't that wild? That would mean that nobody's saved. That would mean none of us are saved. I mean, we're just wasting our time here. We should just go home right? But that's not what it means, and that's not where we're at. Now, I believe that Hebrews 6 is actually describing 1 John 2.19, so turn there real quick. 1 John 2.19. Here's what I think it's describing, and that's those that maybe they came to church for a while, and they watched, they listened, they, they, they went along with everything. They called themselves Christians. They read their Bibles even, Maybe they went and did stuff with the church, but then at some point in time, they said, you know what, this just isn't for me. Have you heard, I mean, lately it seems like, like each year in the past few years, there's like some major Christian influencer in some way, shape, or form, whether it's a book writer or a musician, coming out and saying, I'm not a Christian anymore. Just so you know, true born-again Christians don't say that. You don't say that. I've never gone, oh, I said, I'm not a Christian anymore. I'm not following Jesus anymore. Oh, what's the alternative? Going back into the world and living like I did before Jesus. No thanks. I don't want to go back to that life. I have been set free, and that's the life that I want to live. Why would I leave him? Why would I leave him? When you understand the basic doctrine of salvation, you don't want to leave him. You know who leaves him? Those that don't understand it. Those that were trying to earn their own salvation. Those that were trying to keep their own salvation. That's tiring. I would want to leave that too. But see, once you're born again and you understand that the process of salvation has nothing to do with me, you're free. 
Now I'm free to live for him. I'm not free to sin. The Bible teaches, teaches us that we shouldn't use grace as an opportunity to sin. I'm free from the law. Do you understand? I'm no longer bound by it. Now I can willingly offer myself to Jesus as a living sacrifice, as we find in Romans 12. So it says, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. Now Paul calls them foolish Galatians. Foolish Galatians. In Galatians, the word in the Greek, which quite differently suggests the actions of one who can think but fails to use his powers of perception. So for those that believe they can lose their salvation, it, I think it's often because they haven't really thought a lot about it. Someone taught them that that, that could happen, and then they began to believe it, and then they began to have a nail-biting Christian experience. Because you know as well as I do, you know, you could try to be as good as you want, and one day you're just going to blow it. Just take someone cutting you off on the freeway, cutting in line in Costco, I'll be more specific, in the gas line. <laughs> I went into Costco once, and I told them, you're going to have a fight in your parking lot. If you guys don't do something, you're going to have a fight in your parking lot. Because what was happening is people wait in line. Like, I'll go wait in the line, right? And then people start coming in, and everybody's like, oh, no, you're not. And they start screaming and yelling. And so they went out, and they put cones like barriers so you could only come in one way and every now and then someone will still try to sneak in and I'm not letting them no way they get behind me and see the church sticker <laughs> they were being foolish the Galatians because they believed they could be perfected by keeping the law that's what they believed. Remember what God started in us, he will complete. Now, I'm not saying you don't do anything, you just stand there and God grabs you like a puppet and makes you do everything. You have to be willing to let God do it in your life. That's why some of you, you know what, it's taking you so long to get to heaven because you're stubborn. You're really stubborn. And you're getting older and you're like, why isn't he taking me home yet? Because you're not yielding to something that he wants to do in your life. You're not done. You keep jumping off the, the master's craftsman table and he's like, just stay there and let me finish it. And you're like, but I don't want to. It hurts. And he's like, I know it hurts, but this is the best place. And I'm like that too. It's right when I start thinking, okay, I'm, I'm okay, Lord, I'm going to do everything. Oh, today's going to be one of those days. I just do it all for you. And then I step out of my house. <laughs> it happens to all of us. Philippians 1.6 says, he who has begun a work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Now, they were foolish, but they had also been bewitched, which means to deceive a person by, by devious and crafty ways. They started telling the Galatians, you cannot just trust in God's grace. You've got to be a part of the equation. And there's a lot of people that like this. But he says the hearing of faith, a commentary says faith consists not of working, but by receiving Galatians 2.16 says, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Christ Jesus that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. Now let's look at point number two. 
So what is the right view of works? Turn to James chapter 2, verse 14. James 2, verse 14. And we'll see the right view of works. He says, What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? Now, you could actually write, can that type of faith save him? Because that's what he means. Can that type of faith save him? Someone who says they have faith, but there's no evidence in their life. You know what I'm talking about? Because as Christians, when you see this, it doesn't make sense to you. Someone who calls themselves a Christian and they treat people with hate. Doesn't make sense, right? And you walk around and you say, how could, this doesn't make sense. How can they call themselves a Christian and live like they do? Maybe because they're not truly a believer. Now, I'm not saying believers don't have bad days or that they don't all want to sit in the front row. But there, there is a reality. I know, I, was being, I told you I was going to be more ornery. <laughs> but the reality is that we need to see the relationship between faith and works. If I say that I am a child of God, you should expect to see the behavior of a child of God, right? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of them says, And one of you says to them, depart in peace, be warm and filled, but do not give them things which are needed for the body. What does it profit? So someone's like, oh man, I'm super hungry. And you're like, just imagine you ate an in and out hamburger. I'll pray for you. We do that as Christians sometimes though. Someone's like having a hardship and we say, I'll pray for you. You have the ability to help them, but you're in a hurry. Brothers and sisters, we need to slow down and stop being in such a hurry and help people. Stop, stop being so cynical and thinking everybody's trying to rip you off. Now, there may be people trying to rip you off. But the reality is that we, we're not, if we're not walking slower or thinking about what God wants to do in our life, we might miss an opportunity to bless somebody. The Bible tells us that some unknowingly have entertained angels without knowing it. Do you think that that stopped? You think it's possible that we could interact with an angel even here at church and be unaware? It is possible. You could think God could be judging us as an individual or as a church in the way that we treat people? He absolutely can, so we need to be careful. Verse 17, thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works and I'll show you my faith by my works. Faith without works is dead. James 2.26, for as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. Doesn't this seem so trivial? Doesn't it? It's like the body without the spirit is dead. Oh, that's what happened. The spirit's gone, so therefore the body is dead. Makes sense. See how simplistic it can be? And sometimes we want something, no, give me the deeper, give me the greater, I need the weightier things. And God's like, how about you get the simple things down first, and then we'll move on to the more complex things. Because sometimes the simple things are overlooked. And if you're not careful, you can form a life based on wrong doctrine. And not only will you live that way, You will teach others to live that way, if not force them to live that way. So we have to be careful and make sure that we understand this rightly. Look at Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. Jesus said in Matthew 7, 21, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, 
but who? He who does the will of my Father. That's the evidence that they have truly received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. They do what the Bible commands. That's the bottom line. And if you're not a child of God, that's impossible. It's, it's hard enough being born again, being a child of God. It's hard enough to do what God says to do sometimes, isn't it? Especially when you see all the evil of the world and you're just like, <clears throat> we wanted a border wall. I know you're, oh, don't get political right now. No, I'll just use this as an example. I'm just talking about myself. Do I want a border wall because I want to keep people out of the country? No. I want legal immigration. Fix the immigration problem and migrate pe people here legally. Legally. But you know what makes me so frustrated is that there are sweet people from Mexico trying to get in here who are trying to do it the right way. And they're being kept back. While the border is wide open and people are just walking across because borders are racist. And then in the news this week came the president is going to put a border wall in Texas. Wait, I thought they were racist. Okay, so here's, here's the Lord says for me to pray for him. I have a really hard time when he does that kind of stuff. <laughs> I, see, I told you, I'm just picking on myself. I'm just being honest. The Lord's like, pray for him. And I'm like, I don't want to. It's hard sometimes. John Calvin wrote, It is faith alone that justifies, but faith that justifies can never be alone. He quoted John Calvin. <laughs> yes. Because that's right on. Point number three, so rest in what he did. So rest in what he did. Galatians 3, 5. Therefore, he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you does he do it by the works of law or by the hearing of faith? Well, he does it by the hearing of faith. Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness, therefore know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, In you all the nations shall be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. So the hearing of faith. Well, what's faith? Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. So faith can also be translated to trust or to have confidence in. That's what it means. The substance is that which provides the basis for the trust or the reliance. That's what it means. You're saved by grace through faith, and that not of yourself. It's nothing that you do or I do to earn it or to keep it. Now, because Paul uses Abraham and quotes, I wanted to show you a couple of different types of righteousness that the Bible talks about. Number one, self-righteousness. Self-righteousness is what the Galatians thought they could do to keep salvation or to perfect it self-righteous people are usually very legalistic they tend to have this thought that they in and of themselves can please god by their works and so they'll do stuff non-stop and then they'll say wow i did all this this week i'm closer to jesus remember doing the stuff doesn't get you closer to him he cannot love you any more or any less 
What are we doing by, we'll call it works for a moment, right? Because it's what the Bible calls it. What do we do by our works? What are we doing as we serve the Lord? What do our works do? Store up treasures in heaven. There's nothing to do with relationship. It has everything to do with storing up treasure in heaven. Because where your treasure is, Jesus said, your heart is. It's the motivation. But my relationship with him is predominantly when I spend time with him in his word. And then because I love him and because he loves me, then I get up and I go do it. Do you understand? I'm not doing it to make him love me more. He can't. That's what we do with each other as humans. You know? I love this church. Why? Because the temperature is just right. <laughs> I love this church. Why? Oh, I love the seats. They're so comfortable. You know? Sometimes we go church shopping and we're looking for what a church has to offer us. And a lot of complaints come from people who don't find exactly what they want in the church. It was too loud. There's drums on the stage. There's an electric guitar. That's not in the Bible. Well, electric guitars aren't, but stringed instruments are, and so are clashing cymbals. All in the book of Revelation, all throughout the Old Testament, it says, make a joyful noise, and there's clanging of cymbals and all that. So if you think that there's no drums, then you're not going to, if you don't want no drums in heaven, then don't go there. Because it's going to be noisy. Philippians 3.8, I warned you I was going to be honoring. <laughs> Philippians 3.8, I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. I count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him having my own righteousness, which is from the law, not having it, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. If there was anyone of all of humanity outside of Jesus that would have been the closest to being able to stand before God in their own righteousness, it would have been Paul. But he says, I count it all rubbish. I don't want to be standing before him in my own righteousness. It doesn't get me there. You understand. Then there's imputed righteousness. To impute means to charge to his account or to put to one's account. The righteousness of Christ is imputed to our account. The moment that I exercise faith in Christ, his righteousness is imputed to my account. Isn't that cool? God's like, okay, let me see your bank account. You're like, oh, it's filled with my righteousness. He's like, oh, your currency doesn't work here. Sorry, Bitcoin crash. <laughs> oh, no, I got Christ's righteousness. Okay, you're good. Our sin isn't kept in our account. First Peter 3, 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. 2 Corinthians 5.21, he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. There's an exchange. It's beautiful. I came to Jesus with my sin, and I exchanged it for his righteousness. Isn't that awesome? I didn't come to him with my works, and then he said, oh, wow, look at you. You can come on in. He didn't do that, and he won't do that, but he puts into my account as if I had never sinned. And then there's practical righteousness. Romans 8, 4. The, the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to his spirit. The righteousness is then accomplished through walking in the spirit. We don't become sinless, but we do sin 
less. You understand, the longer I live with Jesus, the closer I get to him, the less I sin. Because when I was younger in Jesus, just like a little kid, right? They're learning to walk. When they're smaller, they fall a lot. And then they get better and they get better at walking until you get like really old and then you start falling all over again. (laughs) Then you get life alert. (laughs) I found it to be true because I'm walking and I just trip on nothing and I always look for the bump on the floor and there isn't one. And I realize I must drag one of my feet like a Neanderthal. Not that there's such a thing or ever was. I have to say that because someone, you said that there was Neanderthals, and I'm, we're just going to keep reading the Bible now. Romans chapter 4, verse 1. Romans 4, 1. What shall we say then that Abraham our father has found according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Verse 4, now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. Do you see the imputation? Based on my belief. Then God imparts to my account that righteousness based on my belief. But if I try to do the works, then their wages counted as debt. Remember, what are we talking about? Salvation. We're not saying there's no place for works. There absolutely is, but not as it relates to the topic of salvation because you either have it or you don't. Very good. You guys got it. That's awesome. James chapter 2, verse 23. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. You see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. Now, you might say, well, wait a minute. There he's putting them side by side. No, 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 no. The faith is the first. The works is the second. It's like walking. One foot's faith. One foot's works. First faith, then works. You understand? They got to be side by side, not one without the other. And then he says, we're justified. This word, I like to break it down, just if I'd never sinned. That's how God looks at me. Isn't that wild? I did sin. I did. I still do. But God, when he looks at me, he doesn't see me as a sinner. He sees me as a son. Isn't that awesome? It's beautiful. I love it. Nahum 1.3 says that the Lord is slow to anger and great in power and will not at all acquit the wicked. It means he will not leave them unpunished. Those that are living without Jesus, when they die, they will be judged in eternity for their sin. That's not a place that you want to be in, friend. You don't have to. You're sitting in here today. You're hearing my voice. You're watching online. You're hearing my voice. You've heard this study then you understand the process by which a person must be saved. And whatever you believe that's not according to the scripture is wrong. You believe that God is angry with you and he's just waiting to punish you. God is not waiting like he's, 
you know, licking his chops and wringing his hands and he's just looking forward to your destruction. The Bible is very clear. God says, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. You know, you and I do. And I don't mean that to be funny. I really don't. But if you think about it, when a predator who's been preying on children is caught, I would go watch the gassing or the electrocution chair. You say, wow, you're morbid. No, when it comes to kids, no, I'm not messing around. Don't mess with my kids. Do not mess with our children. California is messing with our children. And we're not going to sit by and let California mess with our children. You understand? When you see the wicked get what's coming to them, sometimes we relish in it. But God says, I have no pleasure in it. But he is just. You have to understand that his justice doesn't take pleasure in it. It's what's necessary because they've rejected Christ. You don't want to be in that place. Again, Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness, because in his forbearance God passed over the sins which were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. To be the justifier means to put someone in right relationship with another. You and I were born sinners separated from God by our sin. You and I could do nothing to justify ourselves before God. So what we were unable to do, God did for us. He came and he died on the cross and rose from the dead to put us in right relationship with himself. Think about the weight of that. What's holding you back from a relationship with Jesus Christ today? What have you been living in bondage to? Your whole life maybe you've spent trying to earn God's favor, but you cannot. God wants to offer you something freely today. And maybe for some of you, you're already born again, but maybe this message will set you free so that you can live in the love of God. Because God doesn't want you walking around, biting your nails as a Christian, hoping that you're going to squeak in. You're born again, you're going. You're going. That's it. What about the rapture? What if I'm sinning and the rapture happens? You know what John says? You'll be ashamed before him at his coming. Like a little kid in their room doing something, you know, you told them not to eat the ice cream and they went in the fridge and they got the ice cream and they're sitting in their room and all of a sudden you realize it's super quiet. So you go and you bust open the door and there they are, chocolate ice cream all over their face, spoon right in the middle of it and they're like, ah! (laughs) Ashamed. That would be us if we're in the middle of sinning and the rapture happens. Let's close on one last verse. Galatians chapter 2 Verse 19, Paul said, For I, through the law, died to the law, that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, what? I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Would you close your eyes and would you bow your heads?
I just want to address two people really quickly, and I would just ask that you not get up in this moment. We're all going to be stuck in the parking lot. So just stay seated. But listen, first group of people I want to, to pray for is maybe you know you're born again, but you have just been living in fear and this constant like thought that God is just waiting to punish you, even as a child of God. I just want you to raise your hand because I want to pray for you. Maybe that's you. You're just like, man, Shadrach, I've been living thinking I got to keep the law to stay right with God. And I see hands all over the sanctuary. Go ahead and put them down. Father, I first lift up these to you today that they would be set free from that mindset. That they would understand the relationship between faith and works is, man, I love Jesus. I want to serve him. Not, I love Jesus, but I'm afraid he's going to smack me, so I better do it. Because that's not what you've laid out in scriptures. So God, I pray you'd set them free from that thought. And now for the second group, those today that are in here that have not yet received Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Today you acknowledge that Jesus Christ is God, that he died on the cross and rose from the dead. And today you would like to repent from your sins and know that you're going to go to heaven when you die based on what Jesus did. Maybe you've thought you've got to do something to earn salvation and you learn today there isn't anything you can do so you're free to just come to him as you are. Would you raise your hand right now and I just want to lead you in a prayer, just real quick. See hands up, going around the back. Don't be ashamed, nobody's looking around. It's just me and the worship team. Just raise up your hand, nice and high. I see them all around the back. Father, you see these hands right now and more importantly, you see the heart connected. I want you that have just raised your hand and those of us that are believers to pray this along with them as we invite them into a relationship with Jesus. Pray this now. Dear Jesus, I am a sinner and I need a Savior. And I ask you now to forgive me for all my sins. I believe, Jesus, that you are God, that you died on the cross and you rose from the dead. I receive you now as my Lord and Savior. Help me to live for you every single day in Jesus' name. And Father, I lift up the rest of the body here. Lord, I pray that today as they go out those doors, that they would go out into your perfect will for their lives, that each and every, every one of them would seek you with his whole heart, and Lord, they would put you first in all things to bring you glory with every breath. Lord, bless them, fill them with your Holy Spirit to overflowing. Make your grace rest upon each and every one of their homes. Lord, keep us in all of your ways. And Lord, as Israel is under attack, we pray again, Lord, that you would be merciful, that you would allow the Jews to come to know you that don't know you, that God, they would turn again to their Savior. Lord, we surrender this day to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.